Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to a Mouse Clubhouse Conversation. Hi, this is Scott Wolf, and this conversation is with Mark Davis. Years ago, I saw a television show about Mark on the Disney Channel, and he quickly became my favorite artist, largely because of his contributions to the Disney attractions, such as Haunted Mansion, Pirates of the Caribbean, The Jungle Cruise, It's a Small World, and even the Country Bear Jamboree. But Mark's Disney career started in animation in 1935, going all the way back to Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Mark went on to not only animate, but also to design many characters such as Cinderella, Bambi, Thumper and Flower, Cruella de Vil in 101 Dalmatians, Maleficent in Sleeping Beauty, Alice in Alice in Wonderland, and from Peter Pan, he even designed Tinkerbell. After meeting Mark on the Disney Studios lot, we became friends and I cherished the visits that we had. In the 1990s, Shaney and I were working on a book of photography for Disneyland, and their merchandise department had suggested that we include the storylines of the attractions that would be pictured in the book, since everything in Disneyland has a storyline. But when I met with Mark and I asked him about the storylines, he told me how Walt Disney and he felt about storylines and attractions. Here's what he said. I think that uh, he agreed, and I certainly agree, that uh, this type of show is not a storytelling medium. Go into a story... Do a film, you know, and that was his attitude. So these things were, you know, putting together a lot of things. This as pirates, this as uh, jungles, you know, and so on, but to entertain the people that are coming through. So there I was sitting in Mark's house, finding out there were no real storylines for these attractions. But while my tape recorder was still on, I just decided to take advantage of the time to ask Mark about his fascinating career at Disney. And that's how this interview came to be. It wasn't intended to be heard, and I was not yet doing interviews for Mouse Clubhouse. It was recorded in 1997 on an old tape recorder that was on its last leg. When I got home, I discovered you could hear the screeching reels of the tape throughout the recording. It was awful, and over the years, the tape has even deteriorated more. But my friend Don Dorsey, who himself has made major contributions to Disney, has generously cleaned it up to the point where you can really hear Mark's stories much more clearly. While this isn't as comprehensive of an interview as I like to do, in part of this interview you'll hear how Mark, although he was an assistant animator on Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, got to animate a famous scene in the movie. Mark tells the secret code that artists use to let each other know that Walt was coming into the building. And you'll even hear how he met his wife Alice, who ended up designing costumes for attractions such as Pirates of the Caribbean, Carousel of Progress, Flight to the Moon, and It's a Small World. Despite poor quality and very squeaky tape reels, I hope you find this conversation from 1997 as much of a Disney treasure as I do. Here's part one of a conversation with Mark Davis. I taught at Chouinard Art Institute for 17 years, one night a week, and uh, replaced... um, marvelous man by the name of Don Graydon, who also taught at Disney's. So when he decided to retire and move north, um, they asked, or I was asked if I could take his place. Well, I couldn't completely because I worked at the studio as an animator and I worked all day at that. So anyway, um, I did go down there every Tuesday for 17 years, and Alice here was in the first class that I taught down there as a scholarship student, 
and uh, she also called the roll in my class. At that time, this was right after the Second World War, and I had a class that oh, 95 to 100 people in it. Huge, huge class for a life class, drawing class. So anyway, that's where we got acquainted originally. And uh, it was quite a while afterward that we got, you know, we saw one another outside. I started working for Walt Disney on December 2nd, 1935. So uh, I came there because I had a great knowledge of animals, how they moved, their anatomies, everything else. And I thought I had something special to offer them. But I didn't know when I arrived there that they were already working on Snow White the Seven Dwarfs. So I ended up as an assistant animator on the girl Snow White. And I worked with a marvelous man by the name of uh, Grim Napwick. Oh, yeah. who lived up to his 100th birthday and uh, they had a big party for him out in the valley and uh, the woman who was taking care of him said it was almost like he lived for that party because about three months after the party he died a wonderful time so anyway I worked as I say on the girl Snow White then after that um, this was uh, just the start of the, of the Second World War. Disney decided to do Pinocchio, decided to do uh, Fantasia, and also to do Bambi. Well, since my knowledge of animal anatomy and so on was quite great, I was um, part of that story team. And they moved us from the studio down here on Hyperion up to Hollywood, where uh, where we uh, were kind of left alone, pretty much. And there was quite a group. And uh, the man who had been the story director of um, Snow White was also the story director on, on Bambi. So anyway, as I say, we didn't have too much contact with Walt Disney at that time. And, outside of just being in meetings and sitting in the back row or something like that. I really couldn't say that I knew him. So anyway, uh, when they, at the same time they were building the new studio out in the valley, and this was interesting because uh, the uh, lease that we had on the building then, well, it was on Seward Street in Hollywood, uh, was running out. So they moved us, we were the first group to move in as creative people in the new studio. So we were up on the third floor of the, th the three, uh, 3B wing. And this was where we would see Walt Disney now. We'd have story meetings there. And as I say now, this was almost three years that I had worked on uh, Bambi. So anyway, he became so intrigued with the drawings that I had done of the characters, the young characters, that he said, I want to see this man's uh, drawings on the screen. He has to, be, has to become an animator, teach him how to animate. 
So that's how I became an animator, literally. And something, a thing you might enjoy if you remember the story of Bambi at all, the film. Uh, Perce Pierce, who was the story director, would um, come down all our rooms in this wing and he would say, man is in the forest. Man is in the forest. That meant Walt Disney had <laughs> walked in, you know, was in the wing. And that meant to shape up and zip up and whatever stupid you're doing, don't do it. So, uh, anyway, that's where I became acquainted with Walt. And, uh, did Walt ever find out about that? I don't know. He probably did, but he was uh, a very brilliant man. And, uh, you know, he had an apartment in the studio, and he could stay there overnight. And uh, it was a very, well, this was, he had a, a large meeting room, he had a secretary, he had all these various things. And he had a little bedroom, and, and uh, he could prepare food or have food prepared for him. And, uh, and then uh, the nurse would come up after work and, and give him his medications and all that sort of thing. You know. So this was, this was a, a, a great spot, a great thing, you know. And, uh, but he was, he was something very special. And as I say, I think a lot of people don't realize what a tremendous man he was. And uh, a lot of people are, you know, kind of jealous of him too, I think. And I think that a lot of the bad mouthing that uh, you hear about Walt Disney is out of sheer jealousy. This man, you know, he really created America's number one uh, uh, art form, really. Really, the animation business as done by Walt Disney is the one really art Only it was done here. You know, it wasn't that there wasn't animation done with it, but he was the man that developed it. And it was like when he did Snow White, um, nobody thought, you know, this was kind of called Disney's folly, you know, and the same thing. But this thing just sang, you know, and it's still, it's still a great film. I had one. They kind of threw a bone when, near the end of uh, Snow White, so each one of us got a scene or two to do oh, no on Snow White. So I did a, one of the dancing scenes of, of uh, uh, Snow White dancing with the, the two dwarfs, one on top oh. of the other. It was just fun to do, and as I say, it was kind of throwing a bone to the uh, animators, or such an animator. We worked very hard many times, and, uh, you know, after uh, after hours and everything else. Then I animated all the way through on uh, Bambi. Dog! <laughs> the thing that I did, I, I worked on the young animals, and I uh, designed pretty much what Bambi uh, looked like 
what uh, Thumper looked like and what uh, a flower the skunk looked like. I animated an awful lot of flower in the film, a little bit of Bambi and a little bit of uh, Thumper. But uh, Frank Thomas and Ollie Johnson did a book on Bambi. If you look at the inside, inside cover, uh, there are all these heads you see in there. You see my initials also up there, MD. And what I did, I took a uh, photographic study of human babies, and uh, I took expressions that they made and put those into this little deer's head. And there's an awful lot of my drawings in, in the book. Well, after Bambi, um, well, what happened was the war came, and it wiped out all of Disney's foreign revenue. Uh, Disney depended more on worldwide distribution of these films than probably any other film company. And so um, they had an awful lot of money coming like from England. Well, all the money in England was blocked. Could, we couldn't get it very much. So this was apparently worldwide. So uh, fortunately for Disney, um, he was asked by uh, the United States government to do films um, that would uh, help the war effort. So things, I worked on some of those. I worked on a series, well, with too many, but it was on um, Navy fighter tactics. And this was after the Battle of the Coral Sea and the Battle of Midway, which America won with a really inferior fighter plane to the Japanese Zero. And uh, the uh, American uh, plane was the Grumman Wildcat, which was kind of slow by comparison. But these guys had a system that worked beautifully. And they, as I say, they won those two battles. So I think with a great deal of jealousy on the part of uh, other parts of the branch, or other branches of the armed forces, that uh, they kind of maybe accepted this stuff that we did, I'm not too sure. Mm -hmm. But anyway, they did things on training sea captains, because they were making all these uh, liberty ships that were cement hulls and so on to uh, ship cargo, you know, around the world. And, and, uh, uh, things for the army and so forth. So anyway, there were all these things going on. And we did things for, uh, for instance, mosquito abatement. I worked on a film on that because, you know, a lot of the war was in places where, you know, you had swamps and you had malaria and all this. And also we did films for how to raise food you know, in these third world countries, how to do it real easily. As I say, it was quite a thing. They had, at that time, such things as the Norden bombsite, which was the most highly developed bombsite in the world. And uh, every morning, it'd be about, as I recall, about 
six armed guards would come in in this covered thing that they had, black, and brought it in, and it would be worked with all day. And then when going home time, they had all left their guns in the Norton bomb site. So there were all these things, as I say, which was quite, quite extraordinary. And that really uh, created the bit for Disney to survive the wartime. And then after the war, uh, uh, well, I should say, just before the end of the war, we did things like uh, uh, Alexander Pedusiversky's Victory Through Air Power. And uh, I worked on that, and unfortunately, got overlooked on screen credit on it. But I did an awful lot of story work on that. And uh, Les Clark was one of the animators. He got overlooked on screen credit on that. But anyway, later, and I, as I say, I worked quite thoroughly on that. And I became part of Disney's doing the New York World's Fair in the early 60s. And I ran into the Alexander P. D. Siversky, and oh, he was so delighted to see me. And I had lunch with him several times. And he had one of the first space capsules there, which he was exhibiting for the world to see. Wow. And maybe it was the first one, I'm not sure. Wow. And uh, so, anyway, this was that period of time. Now, during this time, Disney was not able to do his regular films. They did a lot of films with a lot of short subjects kind of tied together of various names. And uh, this was a far cry from Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs or Bambi or Pinocchio. And uh, so the one film that came finally to be done was Cinderella. That was the first real full uh, animated Disney film. And the strange thing is I talked to the girl or lady who did the voice for Cinderella this morning, and her name is Eileen Woods, and a very lovely yeah. And uh, anyway, so that was that was the shift back to, you know, this was the thing in Snow White. So on and, uh, now, was Song of the South done before that, though? Song of the South was done before uh, Cinderella. I worked on it. I animated the first sequence on it. Uh, I also worked on stories on it. Um, but I did the sequence where the uh, fox and the bear down in the cave and the fox is building the tar baby. If you remember that, oh, yeah. I love it. And, uh, <laughs> and that's when he, you know, he rips the, the buttons off of the, yeah. <laughs> off of the, the jacket of the bear and, and uh, his pipe he uses in the nose and, and then he wants to he got no hair and then he turns and covers his head and that's when uh, the fox takes the head and, <laughs> and Flaps them in the various and then they go out together. But that was the first sequence I remember doing.
And then Song of the South itself was that story. Well, that was kind of a story made up because again, <coughs> uh, they weren't capable at that time, again, when this was made, of doing a full-length uh, animated film. So this was the stories that uh, Uncle Remus told were uh, these stories, you know, the animated ones. And then the rest was kind of live action. And it was, uh, it was kind of an interesting thing, I think. Um, we met the, well, we went to the, what anniversary was it, Alice, that we went to down in? Wasn't it the 30th? 30th anniversary, I think, in, in Atlanta. Alice and I went down, um, and the gal who played the mother in, uh, uh, was also there. And she was also Aunt Phoebe. Oh, yeah. Um, well, yeah, Phoebe Yeah, it was very Ruth, funny Ruth, because she, she oh, Ruth, Ruth, Ruth Ward. Ruth Ward. Thank yeah. you. Oh, lovely lady. Yeah. Anyway, she, she uh, started walking down the aisle to give a speech, and all the little kids in the crowd all started yelling, Aunt Phoebe, Aunt Phoebe. That had nothing to do with Song of the South. It was Aunt Phoebe. Are your potatoes okay that you were? I haven't started. Yet. Oh, I see that. Um, after Cinderella, um, well, after that, then they got into pretty much uh, regular production. You know, that, that, uh, had there not been a war, in other words, uh, as I say now, and that uh, included, amongst others, uh, Sleeping Beauty, mm -hmm. which I worked on, and a lot of work on that, and. Uh, and Underwent Dalmatians. Now there's a number of these films that came in along there I did not work on. This was good because I say uh, you expended yourself on one idea and then by the time I finished that I always went up and worked in story between pictures. So I, this was one of the things that Walt liked about me was that I, his contention was that I could do anything. Alice, yeah. you, you can tell that story about the walk, showing, telling, showing you the drawings and what? Of the pirates? Well, yeah, I don't know what he said. Yeah, we, they had an open house shortly after we started working on Pirates of the Caribbean. And uh, Walt had them do a whole wall of nothing but Mark's drawings of the pirates. And so, we were standing around talking, and, and Walt came over and took me by the arm, and he said, Alice, come here, I wanted to show you something. Well, um, whenever Walt wanted to compliment somebody, he'd always tell somebody else who he knew would run to you and tell you that Walt complimented you on something. Anyway, he, he took me over and he said, I just want you to look at these, these drawings. I said, I look at them every day, I'm working on the costumes, and he said, no, he said, I don't mean it that way. He said, I want you to look at these and see the genius in this. He said, Mark's a genius. He said, he can do anything I ask him. He said, he can work in any style, he can um, do animation, he can do story, he can do this. He said, he said Mark can do anything I want to ask. Wow. That's a pretty nice compliment. Mm -hmm.
I did the Tinkerbell. And you designed Tinkerbell? Yeah. Oh, wow. I animated a lot of her. I animated like the close-ups and that. Oh. If she had to fly from here to there and zoom over, somebody else could do that. Uh -huh. Well, you know, Peter Pan was done as a stage play. It was, it was not done as a book. Uh, Tinkerbell was a spot of light. So they must have had some kind of a strong flashlight or something. Right. And that was Tinkerbell. When we did, when I did this, this Tinkerbell, there was, there were some people that complained about this that, that made a little fat ass to, <laughs> pixie out of the, out of the thing, you know. Anyway, which was not not true, but as I say, uh, tried to make a personality out of it, you know. And we had to in our, our case because a spot of light would have been just nothing. We hope you've enjoyed this Mouse Clubhouse conversation. Thank you for joining us.